As we turn our attention to God's word this morning, we continue here in chapter three of the book of Galatians and the apostle Paul is entering into this applicational phase of instructing us really on on what grace actually does in our lives. And one of the great struggles, I believe most, if not all people, at least go through some period of time in their life where they attempt to at least think or maybe actually act on that they have somehow won God's approval. And it usually comes through works or doing certain things or uh, we, we can, even good things can turn into ways that we try and relate to God. And in the greatest sense that one could ever think about uh, this particular aspect of Christian living or living before the Lord, the Jewish people had worked out a codified way to relate to God that we, in, in a total sense, call the law. And the law included, of course, the Ten Commandments. It also included the Levitical law. It included all of the feast days. And in every single one of these things that the Lord had instructed the children of Israel to do, their relationship with God got more complex. It got more difficult. And in fact, the Apostle Paul said, by the works of the law is no flesh justified. It became so hopeless to try and appease God through the keeping of the law that it's pretty easy to see when you actually look at the totality of the law that attempting to relate to God through it is an impossibility. And so the question comes into our mind, what's the law for? Why did God give the Jewish people the law in the first place? And why does the law still exist today? How do we relate to the law? What's it good for in your life or in mine? Because God can't have one set of conditions on Monday and on Friday change them. Because if he had someone saved by some other means than grace through faith, ever, then he owes somebody an apology because he changed it up on us. So the question is, what's the law for? And Paul answers that question for us. We'll pick up in verse 15 and read down to verse 22 here in Galatians 3. And would you join me and we'll pray and ask God to use his word to speak to us and change us. Father, we thank you that there is a place for the law in the lives of your church that have been saved by grace and through faith. That God, there in fact is a place in everyone's life for the law. And we ask that you would speak to us, Lord. Help us to never miss the beauty of your grace. And yet at the same time, help us to put into proper perspective the place that you have for all that you said to the Jewish people. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 15 here in Galatians chapter 3. And so what's the law for? Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, look, let me speak to you as a fellow human being. Let me, let me talk to you as someone who, like you, might be thinking to yourself, where in the world am I supposed to put the law? 
And when we think of it, for us today, it's important to imagine the Torah to the Jewish people. The first five books of your Bible that we call the Pentateuch, the books of Moses. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Where, where would all that fit? Because in it is more than just the Ten Commandments. In it is more than just the Levitical law. In it are also the feast days and this incredible system whereby the Jewish people were supposed to relate to God. Where does that fit? What do we do with it now? I'm going to speak to you, Paul says, like a fellow person who might be struggling with understanding this truth. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Paul's leading us back to the original covenant made with Abraham, and he's going to explain that in just a moment. He's saying there were some promises made to Abraham. What about those? Was God just kind of messing with poor old Abraham? Was, was he kind of fooling around with Noah? Were, were the Jewish people wandering in the wilderness, carrying around this incredible thing called the tabernacle? The showpiece that any other nation on earth would wander out in the wilderness, and here's this gigantic tent and this linen fence that surrounded it, and a multicolored gate, and a brazen altar, and a bronze laver, and you would go in and there's the showbread and the incense altar, and here's this giant menorah, and what was that curtain thing all about? I mean, where in the world does all this stuff fit? Where, where does it belong in my life, in your life? Yet if confirmed, no one annuls it or adds to it. Now, to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. Now think about it for a moment. Paul is going to now speak to us about this issue. God made a promise to Abraham, didn't he? How is Abraham going to keep that promise? That becomes the question. Because Abraham, we know, wasn't perfect. Amen? You know the story of Abraham. He was not exactly stellar in all things according to God. He was a liar. He tried to give away his wife. He tried to help God out by going in and having a physical relationship with a handmaid. He, he was not exactly a perfect dude. Notice what it says. Now to Abraham, to the seed where the promises made... He does not say, and two seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed. And so when you read that, knowing the book of Genesis, if you studied it with us, this goes back to Genesis chapter 3, to the seed of the woman, the one and only, the promise of Messiah. The one who was and is and is to come, the one who would ultimately come and we would know him as Jesus the Christ that promise was made to Abraham and that promise was made 430 years before the law even existed who is Christ and this I say that the law 
which is 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God. Now, can I share with you something? Does anybody remember when did Moses receive the covenant we call the covenant of Abraham? Does anybody remember? Abraham was asleep. He was not even awake when the covenant was made. He was dozing. He was sawing logs. He was in Zealand. Abraham was asleep when God made the covenant. There was no condition upon Abraham. God didn't say, Abraham, I'm going to multiply your seed. I'm going to make you a great nation if. He just simply said to Abraham, who was asleep at the time, whom he reminded later, I am going to make your name great among the nations of the earth. And I'm going to make your descendants more numerable than the sands of the sea. And all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Anybody remember what Abraham and Sarah's problem was? They were a tad past child-rearing age. Amen? They were in their 80s. Those of you that are in your 80s in the room today, you're probably not thinking about, you know, honey, let's have another baby. (laughs) You're you're probably going, "Mm -mm, not at all. We'll do the grandparent thing. We'll spoil them, send them back. But Abraham and Sarah had no children. And God said through your seed Abraham and the Bible says and he was as good as dead you see God's making an impossible statement according to your flesh and mine he's saying I'm going to do something that only I can do because I'm God and Abraham you're not And so God asked Abraham to do something. He said, I want you to go to the land that I have promised you. And oh, by the way, it's that way. No GPS, no map. He had never been there, never met anyone from there. He said, I want you to take a step of faith and go. And in your going, I will know that you have believed me. Anybody in here expect to see Abraham in heaven? I do. How about Noah? You think we're going to see him there? I do. You you think we'll see Ruth, Rahab? Yes. How are they going to get there? Was it because they kept the Jewish law? Or was it because they believed by faith? The only answer is that they believed by faith because not one of those people was perfect. What was the end of Noah's life? He was a stumbling drunk who was naked in his own tent. So did his kids had to cover up his nakedness. How about Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes? He was not exactly a stellar dad. He messed up and he raised some messed up kids and they they raised some more messed up kids. You see, no one has ever been saved because they met the conditions themselves. Anyone you will ever see in heaven got there the same way from Abraham to you and me, and that's by grace and through faith. That's the only way anyone can get there. 
We have no record in any book of the Bible of any other way to be saved save that you believe and trust God. That's it. It was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. It didn't cancel out the promise. For if the inheritance is of the law, it's no longer a promise. But God gave it to Abraham as a promise. Uh, And I want to dissect this for you because I think this is one of those areas that in a different way, a vast majority of people struggle to relate to God. At some point in time in their life, Matter of fact, I will tell you, Connie and I had a discussion yesterday morning about sometimes my own relationship with the Lord. You know, many of us, if not most of us, have learned to relate to other people by what we do for them and they do for us. Amen? That's the reason we want to please our parents. That's the reason that children do the things they do very often. I want to make dad and mom proud. I I want to do these things so I'll be recognized by my peers. We have innate within us the desire to perform. But can I tell you, performance is not a promise. The promise was given in spite of what Abraham did. And in fact, what we find about Abraham is that what he did was not exactly promising. Amen? So how do we relate to this? The first thing that we see is the law can't change the promise that was made to Abraham. If you read Genesis 12, it just simply says that in him all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. And he is an old, childless dude. He's not in the prime of his life. And God says to him, look, I want to do something through you that you can't even imagine, Abraham. And Abraham even attempts to mess that up. But when the law comes along, the law comes along almost five centuries later. So the law could never have been in view for Abraham. Moses wouldn't write it until 1450 B.C. Abraham was around 2000 B.C. or B.C.E. if you prefer. And so where does the law fit? We still have people that drag out the Jewish law. And I posted on my Instagram yesterday a a little plaque that you'll see all over Israel whenever you go into a hotel. And it's Shabbat from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. That is Shabbat. That's Sabbath. And if you check into a hotel, if you're not paying attention, you can spend a long time going from the top floor to the bottom. And the reason being is the law commanded that a Jewish man did no work on the Sabbath. And so the rabbis, as they blew this law out, said, well, you know, if Jesus was getting on us about reaping grain in the harvest field on the Sabbath, I mean, we surely cannot push an elevator button. And so you don't have to push a button. It simply stops on every single floor. You're talking a 20-minute train ride. It is not fun. So be careful of the Shabbat elevator. Otherwise, you may be there well past Shabbat. You're going to miss your tour bus. You, you, you see, 
The law was intended not to give you a way to relate to God, because let me be honest with you, you're not holy because you do or do not push elevator buttons. You're not holy because you do or do not pick up grain in the field when you're hungry. You are not holy because you don't eat shellfish. You are not more holy because you've been circumcised. You're not holy at all because of anything you have ever done. You're holy because the one you have believed in has made you holy in Christ Jesus. Amen? So the question remains, where does the law fit for us today? You see, it didn't change what happened to Abraham because he was asleep when that happened. But we've been conflicted about this since the beginning. Cain versus Abel, amen? Israel versus the nations of the earth. John the Baptist and Jesus versus the Pharisees. What were John the Baptist and Jesus doing at the River Jordan? Here come the Pharisees and John the Baptist goes, look, you guys get out of here. You go away right now and first do the works of repentance. Then you come back and be baptized. And he says, you brood of vipers. You keepers of the law are a brood of vipers. Jesus in John chapter 8 wins a whole bunch of friends within the Pharisees when he says, you are of your father the devil. For you do the works of him. But they were the keepers of the law. So what was Jesus getting at? He's getting at if you're trying to appease God by keeping the law, you are going to come way short. You're never going to get there. And in our day and time, probably not many of you celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or Yom Kippur, but when you get to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, this, this incredible holiday for the Jewish people where finally the high priest, one guy, goes into the temple and he slaughters two animals and he takes the blood of the second one and he goes in and he sprinkles it on the mercy seat and makes an atonement for the sins of the entire nation. Here's what happens. He turns, walks back through the veil and the moment he gets out, he sees the guy that owes him money. I'm gonna get you. He's right back in the cycle. It's kind of like me when I go to Costco and I see some all y'all. It's like some people are spatially unaware that there are other human beings on the face of the earth. And you're that person whose cart has to block the entire aisle. And it's got one thing in it, and it's a bag of Fritos. It's like in Jesus' name, put your cart to the side. I'm not thinking, it's like, wow, that's really, oh, praise the Lord, brother. (laughs) Hallelujah. No, I'm not thinking happy thoughts. It's like, look, I got a limited amount of time here. And all of a sudden I realize, yes, Pastor Jeff. You see, my flesh and my spirit have been at war as well. Amen? Ephesians chapter 6. 
They are warring at each other. But that began in Genesis 3, the seed of the woman and the serpent. And they've been battling each other. And the whole goal of Satan was to keep Jesus from coming into this world. And so who does he fight against? Cain, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the one through whom the promise was made, Abraham. If he could have killed Messiah, grace is dead. So the promise still stands. Why? Because the promise was kept in Jesus. You see, the the law in that sense was temporary. Verse 19, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Here it is. Romans 3.23. How many have sinned? Say it. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The law was added. Why do you think? Because all have sinned. Because of the transgressions. The problem is the law was added so that you can understand exactly who you are. Inside of me dwells no good thing. My heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, and who can know it? There is none righteous, not one all have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? So it was added after the covenant to Abraham, where the whole world would be blessed, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. It's like, we need to do something in the meantime until Jesus gets here and goes to the cross and pays the price. We need to give mankind some way to relate to a holy God. And so here it is. 613 individual laws, commands, stipulations, feast days, holy living expressed in all of those things. We'll make it really complex so that everyone can, can understand that y'all are sinners. That everyone in this room has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because here's what happens. You see, I just drove back from Mammoth with junior hires, eight junior high boys in a van. I've been to Gehenna. Because they're blaring music and they're, they, they have one volume and it's past my ability to understand. And so as I'm driving back, I can tell you I actually, I fell into covetousness. Pray for me. Because while I'm driving my van at the recommended speed limit of 65 miles an hour, thank you, I get blown off the road by a single dude in a Tesla. At 95, oh yeah, I was coveting. It's like, Lord, why could I not have the Tesla? He could drive the junior high boys because they haven't bathed in a week. There was just a smidge of covetousness there for a moment. So even as a pastor, I'm struggling with one of the 10 commandments. Not 47, 10. The first five of which are how I relate to God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Anybody of you ever had a God before God? 
yeah, sometimes it's called a job, sometimes it's called a relationship, sometimes it's called money, sometimes it's called retirement. I'm spending my kids' retirement before they get it. You're a little on the greedy side. You see, the law was only temporary. Notice what it says, until the seed, Christ, should come. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through the angels by the hand of the mediator, and now the mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. You see, if you go into court and you have a uh, court-announced mediation, what happens? There is a person who gathers two parties together and says, let's talk about this. But that's not what happens with you under grace. There's one who already took care of keeping the promise for you that is handed to you as a gift. It's called salvation, which comes to you by grace through faith. There's no mediation. But under the Old Testament law, there absolutely was mediation. That was the high priest. And the high priest mediated for the the whole of the children of Israel. And he would go in one day a year and make that atonement. And the moment he turned around and went outside of the holy place, everybody was in trouble again. Because it was never enough. Because people weren't done sinning. Because even as believers, we still sin. That's why I've shared with you, I'm so glad that none of you are cartoon characters and you have that bubble over your head that lets me know what's going on in your mind. Because I'd have to teach facing that way. So we would all be in trouble. The law was simply temporary. The blessings of, of the law were based on certain conditions being met by the Jewish people. And if they blessed God, then they were blessed. But if they didn't bless God, then they weren't blessed. You see, the law was conditional. But the promise wasn't, and the promise was first. The law was given to us for a very specific reason. And in fact, it did require a mediator. And here's what that mediator did, because let's face it, the Jewish people got the law third hand. They didn't get it first hand from God. Moses got it from God. But Moses got it when he went on the mountain. He brings down the tablets. What are the people doing when Moses comes back with the law? They're having a party. They're down at the bottom making golden calves out of their jewelry. They're over there doing some barbecue. They're tailgating. They got out their case of Budweiser. I don't know where they got it, but they're, they're having a party at the bottom of the mountain. It's football season. They weren't thinking about God. Moses had been gone for 40 days. It wasn't like he disappeared forever. And they were already back totally stone cold in the flesh. And so Moses says, don't kill him. Aaron steps in, spare the people. So what does God do? God goes from 10 commandments to, okay, I want you to build a tabernacle. And every single thing in the tabernacle spoke of God's holiness. Check this out. A linen fence representing the holiness of God surrounded the entire enclosure. On it was a multicolored gate showing that anyone could come in to that righteousness. 
In the courtyard was a brazen altar that was constantly aflamed, and if you made sacrifice on that altar, you could go a little bit further. And once you made sacrifice on the altar, you would go to the laver and you would wash the sin off of your hands because you had to get right with God before you went into the holy place, the first enclosure inside of the tent. And there on the right side, 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes, the showbread of the people. And when you got past that, giving prayers for the fact that you were even allowed into God's kingdom, you would come to the incense altar. And the incense altar is where you offered up prayer for yourself because you're a sinner. And then you looked and you saw the lampstand and said, wow, the light of the world has come upon me. But there was a curtain at the back of the tabernacle. And nobody could get past that curtain except the high priest. You would get there and it was like a door slammed in your face. You'd done everything. You could go through the multicolored gate. You could have the offering offered for you. You you could let the priest intercede for you. You could allow the mediator to mediate for you, but you yourself could not go in. You needed somebody else to do it for you. You don't have that anymore. If you will believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed, you will be saved. Amen? You better be thankful for that. And here's why. Since 70 AD, there's been no temple. There's been no place for the Jewish people to offer the sacrifices. There's been no showbread. There's been no altar of incense. There's been no giant menorah. There's been no Ark of the Covenant that contained the rod that budded and a jar of manna and the original Ten Commandments. There's been nothing on the Temple Mount. So for the last nearly 2,000 years, there's been no way for any Jewish person to fully relate to God. So now it's just believed to be spiritualized. Well, we mean to do it. Well, when you look at the law, it doesn't kind of sort of mean for you to do it no you have to do it all of it we just saw that you must keep all the law and here's what happens you can't so is the law contrary to the promise that's the question that comes into our mind you see the mediator mediates notice verse 21 is the law then against the promise of God Paul answers it. He says, male genitive, certainly not. It, it, is, it is the strongest negative answer that you can give in the Greek language. Absolutely, no way, positively not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life Truly righteousness would have been by the law. So if you've been struggling with works, you've been struggling with the law, you've been struggling with religion, you've been looking at your life and say, I need to do more of this and more of that so that I can be right with God, let these verses set you free today, brothers and sisters. So why do Apostle Paul spend so much time by the works of the law has no one ever been justified? He says certainly not because then righteousness would have come by the law. 
But scripture has confined all under sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Beautiful word translated into English confined. It literally means to imprison one. It means to toss you in jail. What the law actually does is mind-boggling. It jails your conscience so that you can look at who you are and go, man, I am a wreck. I'm in trouble because there is no way on this earth I can keep that because I'm not making it through the Ten Commandments and neither are you. There are going to be times you're going to have another God. There's going to be times when you're covetous. There will be times when you will please yourself. You will not please God. And remember that when you're talking about salvation, you must be absolutely perfect with no sin. None. Zero. Ever. Ever. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise, here it is, by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who, check it out, believe. That's why Jesus said when asked the question, what must I do? Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Believe is the way this happens. And you can almost hear the Judaizers kind of shouting, is the law against the promises of God? You see, it almost, it almost seems to some like God is contradicting them. So why well, he, he saved people this way in the Old Testament. He saved people now by grace and through faith. And I want to just show you these final five things very quickly here. The, the law, it says here very plainly, could never give eternal life. The law could never save. It never had that capacity. You, you see, it, it can't breathe life into people who are dead when they're still dead. Because I was dead in my trespasses and sins when I was born. But he hath made me alive. The law didn't make me alive. There was nothing that I did because in me dwells no good thing. So it's not like I woke up one day and, okay, well, I'm going to be perfect from now on. You would still be dead from your old sins. Let's say that hypothetically, at some point in time, you could wake up and go, oh, and you're perfect. You know what I mean? Just like you have that epiphanal moment where it's like, from now on, I'm never going to sin again. Well, what happens to the sins before that moment? Because under the law, they're not paid for. They were atoned for. Very different. The price was not paid. There was a letter of forbearance issued to you that God would not exercise his holiness and destroy you instantaneously. Atonement didn't mean that they were forgiven. They were set aside. So every sin from Adam to you has always stood underneath the wrath of God's judgment. Always. So it still has to be dealt with. How does God deal with that? Through the precious blood of the lamb. That's how he does it. Not by you being a law keeper. Not by being practically holy. Not by scripture memorization, as wonderful as that is. Not by church attendance, as wonderful as that is. But because Christ died for me. His blood was shed on Calvary's cross and my sins have been forgiven. The law could never provide life. A second thing there in verses 19 through 22. The law was given really for one 
supreme purpose, if you want to look at it that. It just simply reveals my sin. The law makes me understand that I am a sinner. And I need a savior. That's what the law does. James writes, when, when we look in the mirror, amen? Most of you, when you look in a mirror, you can't do a thing about what you see with the mirror, amen? So when you, that's why you ladies go to Bed Bath & Beyond and you buy these magnifying mirrors that make your eyeball look the size of the mirror. Because it identifies the problem. It's like, oh man, I need to have my eyebrows threaded, right? Because you got like six left and you need 3,000 of them. And so you look in the mirror and you go, oh no. You know, it's like us, as you get older, it's like, it's not an age spot. I am a human age spot. It's like, that's bad. You see, the mirror only helps me see the problem. It cannot help me fix the problem. That's what the law does. The law causes you to see exactly what the problem is. And guess what? Its name is you. You're the problem. You're a sinner. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You look in the mirror of the law and you go, sinner, yep. That's me what happens right you see because the law was so impossible that you got it you looked at it and go oh lord there's got to be some other way praise the lord there is amen the law was so totally inferior and god didn't have two ways of salvation he didn't save abraham by the law because the law didn't exist and yet you all said that abraham you plan on seeing in heaven so if he's going to be in heaven how's he getting there because he believed by faith. Read Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham attained that which he did not see. For faith is the substance of things hoped for and yet not seen. Amen? So it's by faith. It's always been by faith. It's true for everyone that's in heaven. They happen to have believed in Messiah before Messiah got here, and we have believed since Messiah has already come that Jesus is real. Exact same thing saves both. It was inferior. It's just simply faith in Christ, the one who would come, the seed, the promised seed. That's why when you look at behavioral modification, those types of things, sure, you can modify people's behavior, but modifying your behavior doesn't save you. Why? Because the problem isn't the behavior. The problem's internal. It's you. You have a problem still. And while I can sit there and snap rubber bands on my wrist to keep me from grabbing a cigarette, after a while I get numb to the fact that I'm snapping my wrist and so I start to smoke again. I I can make myself not be greedy for a time and then it catches up with me. Then all of a sudden it's like, well, I've got to take that back. You see, the law was inferior. It's only faith that saves. It just points us to what grace can produce. That covenant and all of its demands were fulfilled in Christ as he came. You see, for me, that's why I look at the cross when Jesus says to tell us die, it is finished. 
That's what he meant. What was the it? Everything. The Ten Commandments, the Levitical Law, the feast days, every bit of human effort were finished at the cross. Jesus said, I've done it for you. I've completed it. I am the promised seed. What Abraham looked forward to was me. And I've finished that work. And until you smash yourself against the law, until you understand exactly how wicked and dark internally we all are, our hearts are wicked. They're deceitful. They're desperately so. Until I come to the place where my conscience is pierced and pricked and I go, you know what, God, I'm a mess. I'm a wreck. Now, some of us are a wreck one way and some of us are a wreck another and the rest of us are someplace between those two places. Amen? But when I see the law, I go, oh, I need help because I can't do this. I need grace. I need forgiveness. Lord, grant me faith. And to that end, here's what happens. The law tells us the bad news so that we can really understand the good news. The law tells us the bad news so that we can really understand the good news. Because when I understand the bad news, I really want the good news, amen? Because most people, when you talk to them, it's not like, well, you know, I hope God pours his wrath out on me. You know, I I really want to agonize in eternal damnation. No, when given the choice of understanding that sinners need a savior, most of us just simply rationally go, I need a savior. I need a savior. So the law helps me understand that I need a savior because I can't save myself. I'm a mess. It brings me who is jailed under sin to that point of going with Paul, who will deliver me from the body of death? Praise God. Thanks be to Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? So what's the law good for? It's good to give me the bad news so that I can understand the good news. Amen? Would you stand and we'll close together in prayer. And I want to make an offer to you because I truly believe that the Holy Spirit may have spoken to some of you today because maybe you're here and you believe that you were okay with God because you were a good person. That's a vast majority of humankind, by the way. And I, I certainly don't condemn you, but if you think you're going to heaven because you're a good person, it's not true. You're only going to heaven because you have believed on the only begotten Son of God by faith. The same way Abraham is going to get there. Same way he's there now. Same way I'm going to get there. And so would you bow your heads with me if you're here today and you want to say, God, I'm sorry. I've been trying to do it my way. And you want to change. And you want God's grace in your life. And you want to believe in the same Savior that I believe in, most of us believe in. You want to know Jesus personally so you can stop struggling with the law and works. I want you to simply raise your hand. We're going to pray together that you would receive the grace of God right now. I see that hand in the back to my right. This other one to my left. 
See his hand in the front. Praise the Lord. This other hand to my right. These two hands to my right. Praise God. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. We're going to pray right where you're at. I see that hand in the back. I see these hands over here to my left. Hallelujah. The angels in heaven are rejoicing. God is so well pleased with you that are raising your hands right now because he loves you. That's why he sent Jesus into this world to set you free from the bondage of sin and death. Just raise your hand. We're going to pray together. That's all we're going to do. Because the Bible says if you will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. For those of you who raised your hand, and maybe you didn't raise your hand. Maybe there was fear in your heart. God understands that. But for those that have raised your hand, you can put your hand down right now. And I want you to repeat these words after me. They have to come from you to God's ears. Just simply repeat them and believe them. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I'm tired of the struggle, God. And I'm asking you to forgive my sin and cleanse me from my unrighteousness. Would you please write my name in that beautiful book of life? Or would you help me to walk with you all of my days? If I renounce my old ways, and I ask you to fill me with your spirit, help me to walk in those new ways. Lord, thank you for forgiving me. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. And because you were raised, I will be raised also. I commit my life to you. I want to honor you with all that I do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the family of God.